Here it is. From deep inside your radio. We learned, ladies and gentlemen, a couple weeks ago that it's not just the bees, it's the birds, the birds. Now it's not just the birds and the bees, it's us. Deadline Boston, more than 70% of pollen and honey samples collected from foraging bees in Massachusetts contain at least one neonicotinoid. As you may know by now, that's a class of pesticide that has been implicated in colony collapse disorder in which adult bees abandon their hives during winter. This according to a new study from the Harvard Chen Chan School of Public Health, published in the Journal of Environmental Chemistry. My favorite journal. No, I'm not just saying that. They're paying me. Data from this study clearly demonstrated the ubiquity of neonicotinoids in pollen and honey samples that bees are exposed to during the seasons when they're actively foraging across Massachusetts. According to the leader of the study, Levels of neonicotinoids that we found in this study fall into ranges that could lead to detrimental health effects in bees, including colony collapse disorder, he's added. Alex Liu is the man's name. Since 2006, there have been significant losses of honeybee colonies, bees prime pollinators of roughly one-third of all crops worldwide. I gave a... Uh, a larger number recently on the broadcast. I was mistaken. Previous studies analyzed either stored pollen collected from hives or pollen samples collected from bees at a single point in time. But this study looked at pollen samples collected over time during... Not over time. They didn't get paid extra. During spring and summer months when bees forage from the same set of hives across Massachusetts. This enabled researchers to determine variations in the levels of eight neonicotinoids and to identify high-risk locations or bad months for exposure to bees of the pesticides. They found neonicotinoids in pollen and honey for each month collected in each location. So they could have saved their time. Just done a couple. Suggesting bees are at risk of exposure anytime they're foraging anywhere in Massachusetts. If I'm a bee, I'm moving to New Hampshire pronto. The new findings suggest neonicotinoids are being used throughout Massachusetts. Not only do they pose a significant risk for the survival of honeybees, they also may pose health risks for people inhaling pollen contaminated with neonicotinoids. How would that work? Neonicotinoid pesticides, ladies and gentlemen, as you may know, are administered to the seeds of crop plants. Therefore, they're expressed in every part of the plant as the plant matures. The leaves, the flowers, the pollen. Thank you, Tom. It's not just the birds and bees, it's us. Hello, welcome to the show. Shots in the anti 
the edge of America from the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of, of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersall Jr. First to London. You know, they had the Olympics there um, three years ago. And according to the government of the time, the two major reasons for having the Olympics in London were the regeneration of the neighborhood of East Stratford and getting English people, especially young people, to participate more in sports. The Guardian newspaper of London now reports, by any measure, the figures for sports participation since the games do not make pretty reading. Long-standing issues remain from a lack of coordination between schools, local authorities, and sports clubs to a lack of recognition and remuneration for coaches and PE teachers. Cuts and confusion in school sports and local authority cuts have hit facilities' budgets and adult participation numbers have fallen since the Games. They suggest that increasingly Britain is becoming a two-tier sporting nation, with least progress being made among those in the lowest socioeconomic groups. Sport England, the quasi-governmental agency that invests about half a billion dollars 
in grassroots sport every year. Last month published participation figures among adults that were damned as very disappointing by the new government's sports minister. They have a sports minister. Her labor opposite number called them disastrous. The figures showed that the number of people playing sports at least once a week in England had declined, sorry, in Britain, had declined by 222,000 in six months. The percentage of those on the lowest incomes participating in sports hit the lowest level since records began way back in 2005. Meanwhile, Deadline Tokyo. Exactly five years before the 2020 Summer Olympics open, hundreds gathered in a downtown Tokyo plaza Friday to wave flags and cheer as organizers pledged to overcome a long string of troubles and make the Games a success. Last week, the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe had decided to take plans for the centerpiece new stadium back to zero in the face of growing outrage over ballooning costs. This was the latest in the string of broken promises related to the Games, which Tokyo won based largely on its reputation for efficiency. The stadium decision, which left the 2019 Rugby World Cup without venues, risks damaging Japan in the eyes of the sporting world and could cost it future sporting events on which it could spend even more money. Organizers put this behind them on Friday, telling hundreds packed packed into a square that everything could be overcome. Officials have said the original design for the stadium helped them win the games. However, with the estimated cost climbing to $2.1 billion, almost twice that that was expected, there's been a backlash in a country still rebuilding from the earthquake and tsunami. Olympics Minister Toshiaki Endu told a news conference Friday the plans are indeed back at zero. Best place to start, ladies and gentlemen, when you're running the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one every day. Ladies and gentlemen, Drug Enforcement Administration informants, some paid, others working to stay out of jail, can sell large quantities of drugs without much supervision. Sometimes they set up busts for years while simultaneously collecting federal workers' compensation. This according to a scathing report issued this week by the Inspector General of the Department of Justice. The report, a year in the making described one informant who was injured in 1997 from then on got $500 a week in workers' comp, even while continuing to serve as a paid source. Inspectors estimate that between 1997 and 2012, the DEA paid this individual a total of $2,186,813, including uh, $353,000 in workers' comp, a million-dollar award for a bust, plus other payments and housing expense checks. It's a good job being a DEA informant. Quote, this kind of compensation can be corrupting, and we don't get to explore it. Nobody gets to explore it. That's the comment from Jane Ann Murray, a federal criminal defense lawyer, 
The judges aren't questioning these informants, she says, even though their information may be at the heart of a search warrant or an arrest warrant. They are rarely put under oath at trial. The the DEA system does not require that agents get upper-level approval before allowing informants to do drug deals as long as they involve less than 90 kilograms of heroin or 450 kilograms of cocaine. This, according to the IG, defies Department of Justice guidelines regarding authorization of otherwise illegal activity. But this is your brain on the war on drugs, ladies and gentlemen. And a prominent Democrat is joining Republicans in their rebuke of a Justice Department memo that restricts watchdogs like inspectors general from accessing certain documents during an investigation. The 68-page opinion by the Office of Legal Counsel. Hey, that's the same one that um, John Yu used to be in, isn't it? Yes, it is. The opinion allows the department to forbid disclosures that have either an attenuated or no connection with the conduct of the department's criminal law enforcement programs or operations. This applies to other inspectors general at other federal agencies as well as to the Inspector General of the Department of Justice. Lawyers within the department, not an Inspector General, would ultimately make the determination about whether typically confidential documents meet the appropriate law enforcement or counterintelligence threshold needed to release them for an investigation. This seemingly goes against congressional intent laid out in statutes. Oh, those things, which say that Inspector General may access all documents necessary to conduct oversight. Congress went even further last year with language intending to improve the reach and access of inspectors general. But the Office of Legal Counsel refuted these assertions. Because they could, I guess. Or maybe not. Congress meant what it said when it authorized inspectors general to independently access all documents necessary to conduct effective oversight. That's a statement from the inspector general of the Justice Department. He continued, without such access, our office's ability to conduct his work will be significantly impaired. Hey, man, that's a feature, not a bug. He continues, it will be more difficult for us to detect and deter waste, fraud, and abuse, and to protect taxpayer dollars. The Project on Government Oversight said the memo makes a mockery of our government's internal watchdog system. The lapdog system, however, is in great shape. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature. Oh, by the way, of this broadcast, and um, the inspectors general have clarified that they did find that classified inspectors general from the Department of Homeland Security and the Justice Department have clarified they did find that classified information was sent to Hillary Clinton's private email server, concluding that that was not supposed to be. Uh, The classified information is not supposed to be sent to private servers, only to government servers that are, you know, protected, unless the Chinese hack them. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure. Every woman I know is crazy by automobile. Every woman I know Crazy about an automobile. And here I am standing with nothing but rubber heels. Hey, hey, every woman I know, crazy about an automobile. 
say walking women home is a thing of the past. Women wants to ride and ride around in class. Some like Cadillacs, boys. Some like foes. And some like anything as long as it rolls. Crazy about an automobile. That's right. And yeah, and I'm standing with nothing but rubber heels. Your gears and turn on your radio just loud enough to hear. Now she can turn up your heat and flip on your fan, and then you start rolling just as fast as you can. Crazy about an automobile, all right. And here I am standing with nothing but a rubber here. Well, every woman I know, crazy about an automobile. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Man, when I get some money, I just got to get me some kind of automobile. You don't seem like the women in this town just don't pay no attention to you unless you're driving. Hey, look at that big, fine Buick over there. Oh, I like that one. Look like someone left the keys in it. Well, let's take a ride. Ooh, nothing but a rubber heel. Ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present Let Us Try, a ballad of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Let us try to stem the tide, to beautify our countryside. We offer you our hand. Let us try. Yeah, kind of. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States Army Corps of Engineers paid $4 million in June two years ago to one of four losing bidders 
for the contract to build permanent pump stations at the New Orleans Outfall Canals, the canals whose flood walls failed disastrously 10 years ago next month. This was a public expense Corps officials didn't mention in the announcement of the new pump station project. The payment was intended in part to get the company Bechtel to drop a new challenge to the selection of a winning contractor. That's uh, what Bechtel officials told the New Orleans Sometimes-Picayune. Two years ago, the Corps awarded a $615 million contract to a winning bidder, PCCP, nothing suspicious about that name, to design and build permanent pump stations and canal closures at these three canals. Key upgrades to the revamping of the area's flood control infrastructure since Maria Garzino told you on this program that the first pumps installed after Katrina were defective, had design defects. In announcing the final approval to award the contract, the Corps' press release two years ago noted only that the order to proceed to construction came after the end of an appeal period. Non-mentioned was the fact that Bechtel had filed a challenge to the decision to award the contract that year. The company challenged the award because of lingering concerns about the bid process, said a spokesman for Bechtel. The Government Accountability Office in 2011 had recommended such a settlement as one of the recommendations, along with recommending the Corps throw out its first decision to award a $675 million contract to another outfit, CBY. We also recommend that PCCP and Bechtel be reimbursed for the reasonable costs of filing and pursuing the protests, including reasonable attorney fees, said the GAO. And that was the Corps' explanation this week for the $4 million payment to Bechtel for submitting a satisfactorily rated proposal in order to settle and amicably resolve all differences to avoid the uncertainties and expenses of litigation and for and consideration of the assignment of all data rights in and to its proposed submissions. Three other companies that bid on the project also received $500,000 stipends from the Corps for submitting responsive bids. Those payments also weren't mentioned in the press release of the contract award. This final followed a three-year struggle between the Corps and several contractors bidding on the last major project in the rebuilding of the New Orleans area hurricane risk reduction system, including an abortive 2011 federal lawsuit against the Corps. In August 2011, the Corps ordered the, no, sorry, the GAO ordered the Corps to revise its bid and obtain new proposals for the project, citing several flaws in the process the Corps had used. Among them, the Corps had failed to properly evaluate CBY's technical proposal for operating the pump station, said the bidders may have been misled about the role of price in the evaluation. It also found that the Corps f- failed to properly investigate and mitigate an unfair competitive advantage a conflict of interest arising from the original bidders, successful bidders, hiring of the Corps' chief of program execution of the Hurricane Protection Office, the office responsible for this project and this 
procurement. The Corps spokesman said the stipends were offered because the pump stations were planned as a design-build project, which is an unusual type of contract that calls for much more work on the part of the bidders. Stipends, he said, are common with design-build competitions because it is extremely costly for a competitor to participate. A stipend is a way to encourage competition by assisting principal offerers with the costs to participate. Unquote. Another good reason for having the Corps contract out all its work to private companies rather than do the work itself, as it used to. Stipends, ladies and gentlemen. Let us try to make sure everybody gets paid some stipends. Would you like a $4 million stipend? I sure would. I'd I'd make out the best-looking bid on the planet. And now... It's time for me to read the trades for you. We're going deep into the dark. A trade publication called Dark Daily. A concise briefing on timely topics in clinical laboratory and anatomic pathology group management. The story, National Academy of Sciences confirms formaldehyde can cause cancer. I'll read it for you. Mm-hmm. Pathologists, bio, oh, sorry, histotechnologists and other medical laboratory professionals who regularly work with formalin and other chemicals used in histology laboratories know they're dangerous to the health of those who work with them daily. Last summer, the National Academy of Sciences issued a statement declaring that the Academy concurs with a report of carcinogens listing formaldehyde as a known cause of cancer in humans. This was last August. The report concluded there was positive correlation between exposure to formaldehyde and three types of cancer, myeloid leukemia, nasolymphopharyngeal cancer, and sinonasal cancer. Formalin is a form of formaldehyde. This would mean that this finding would be particularly interest to pathologists and clinical laboratory managers who are responsible for health and safety in laboratories. Pathology laboratory technicians are among specific types of workers at greater risk of exposure to formaldehyde, according to the National Cancer Institute website. As early as its 1981 report, formaldehyde had been classified as reasonably anticipated to be a human carcinogen. The chemical industry balked at the upgrade to known to be a human carcinogen because of the chemical's wide use. Quote, for years, the chemical industry has been winning a political battle to keep formaldehyde from being declared a known carcinogen, according to the Center for Public Integrity. Formaldehyde is considered a building block chemical. It's needed in many consumer products, pressed wood, paper product coatings, permanent press fabrics, glues and adhesives, and fiberglass. In response to the industry's opposition, Congress directed the Department of Health and Human Services to enlist the National Academy of Sciences to critique the report on carcinogens and to conduct an independent assessment regarding the carcinogenicity of formaldehyde. The National Toxicology Program is run by 
Health and Human Services, charged with coordinating, evaluating, and reporting on toxicology within public agencies. The National Research Council reviewed the toxicology panel's assessment to determine whether its conclusion was sufficiently supported by existing scientific data. The committee concludes that the NTP comprehensively considered available evidence, applied the criteria appropriately in reaching its conclusion. The committee agrees with the conclusion. In addition, the NRC performed a congressionally mandated independent assessment of EPA's assessment of formaldehyde, and the National Research Council agreed with the EPA. It's important to note that formaldehyde can continue to be safely used, says the president of the American Chemistry Council. The ACC represents major U.S. chemical manufacturers. Well, that's reassuring. The ACC's formaldehyde panel includes producers and users of formaldehyde, said the president of the American Chemistry Council, Calvin Dooley. Much more information is needed to understand risk. Some scientists responded strongly to the continued opposition of the ACC. This formaldehyde report is the strongest possible statement from the scientific community, said Jennifer Sass, a senior scientist with the Natural Resources Defense Council. A limited number of studies have been conducted and published about the risk of exposure to these chemicals by medical lab workers. One such was conducted in New Zealand and was reported by Dark Daily. The published study involved staff exposure to certain chemicals. Researchers determined that medical lab technicians who handle common solvents develop autoimmune connective tissue diseases in increased numbers. Those findings were published in the Journal of Rheumatology. It also offered credible evidence that clinical laboratory technicians, pathologists, and scientists who work with toluene and xylene, other toxic chemicals often found with formaldehyde, they hang. Uh, those folks double their chances of developing a vascular condition known as Raynaud's phenomenon. I find that interesting, ladies and gentlemen, because I have Raynaud's phenomenon and I've never worked in a lab. Of any kind. That's been a, a mission of mine. Nutty coincidence time when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Twitter. May be fighting gender inequality claims, but one of the company's internal teams showed little sensitivity to the issue this week. It hosted an internal frat party featuring red solo cups, beer kegs, and a sign reading Twitter frat house in faux Greek lettering. That's cute. While the company apologized for the event after it drew a wave of criticism on its own social networking site, the party highlights a serious problem in Silicon Valley, that it's a male-dominated workplace culture in which women are often paid less to do the same jobs as men. A picture of the event held at Twitter's San Francisco headquarters was initially posted to Facebook by a female Twitter employee. Well, that's the unkindest cut of all, isn't it? Posted to Twitter, babe. And by babe, I mean ma'am. 
Special trucks were hard at work vacuuming up an oil emulsion spill the size of three football fields this week as Nexen Energy apologized for the pipeline rupture that sent 1.3 million gallons of mixed sand, bitumen, and water into um, an Indian reservation, or First Nations reservation, as they call it up there, in Alberta, Canada. The spill discovered by a contractor, did not register in what the company had thought was a fail-safe high-tech detection system. Nor did the -the state-of-the-art construction, the brand-new pipeline was installed only last year, stand up to whatever caused it to burst and let loose the volume of two Olympic-sized swimming pools of muck. This is a modern pipeline, said Nexen's senior vice president of Canadian operations. We have some very good equipment. Our investigation is looking through exactly why that wasn't Alerting us earlier, the company apologized for the breakage. We're deeply concerned with this, said Bailey. We sincerely apologize for the impact this has caused. Daylon Los Angeles construction company Mitsubishi Materials Corporation became the first major Japanese company to apologize for using captured American soldiers as slave laborers during World War II. You know, they're the real heroes. They were captured, offering remorse for the tragic events in our past. According to the statement, a company representative offered the apology on behalf of its predecessor, Mitsubishi Mining Company, at a special ceremony at an L.A. museum. They have museums in L.A.? Wow. Today we apologize remorsefully for the tragic events in our past, said Senior Executive Officer Hikaru Kimura. In all, about 12,000 American prisoners of war were put into forced labor by the Japanese government and private companies seeking to fill a wartime labor shortage. Six POW camps in Japan were linked to the Mitsubishi conglomerate during the war, holding more than 2,000 prisoners, more than 1,000 of whom were American. Mitsubishi's predecessor ran four sites that at the time of liberation held about 876 American POWs. 27 Americans died in those camps. While previous Japanese prime ministers have apologized for Japan's role during World War II, private corporations have been less contrite. Because freedom... Taylor Swift has apologized to Nicki Minaj after accusing the rapper of trying to pit women against each other following Minaj's criticism of the MTV Video Music Awards. And that's all you need to know about that. And here's all you need to know about this. World Wrestling Federation has fired Hulk Hogan after several recordings emerged in which he supposedly made racist comments by a wrestler? Are you kidding me? That is out. That is shocking. A story shared by the National Enquirer and Radar Online claimed to have five independent sources sharing details about the contents of a sex tape of the wrestler and reality TV star. Really? Seems such a classy guy. Hogan is preparing to fight a $100 million lawsuit with Gawker Media over their publishing of a different sex tape with the same woman, Heather Clem, the then wife of his friend, DJ Bubba the Love Sponge Clem. It's, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? The story claims sources told them the transcripts of the video, which they say are under seal as evidence in the trial, show Hogan repeatedly using the N-word and saying, I guess we're all a little racist. In a statement to People magazine, Hogan apologized for his comments, quote, eight years ago, I used offensive language during a conversation. It was unacceptable for me to have used that offensive language. There is no excuse for it, and I apologize for having done it. This is not who I am. His statement went on. I believe very strongly that every person in the world is important and should be not be treated differently based on race, gender, orientation, religious belief, or otherwise. I am disappointed with myself, 
that I used language that is offensive and inconsistent with my own beliefs, unquote, wrestler Hulk Hogan. He doesn't talk like that in the ring, but almost every reference to Hogan has been removed from the World Wrestling website. Um, from last week, Planned Parenthood responded to the furor over a hidden video alleging the sale of fetal parts with an explanatory video of its own and an apology. Cecile Richards explained in the video the group's fetal tissue donations and apologized for a staffer videotaped by an anti-abortion group, saying the videos were heavily edited. I want to be really clear, said Richards, the allegation that Planned Parenthood profits in any way from these tissue donations is not true. Our donation programs follow all laws and ethical guidelines. And the American Psychological Association has announced an initial series of policy and procedural steps in response to findings of individual collusion by psychologists and organizational failures in the group's activities related to enhanced interrogation sessions during the War on Terror. Remember that? Those were the days. The APA released a 542-page report produced by Attorney David Hoffman detailing the relationship between various activities of the APA and the Bush administration policies on interrogation techniques. The Hoffman report contains deeply disturbing findings that reveal previously unknown and troubling instances of collusion, said Dr. Susan McDaniel, a member of the Independent Review's Special Committee. The Hoffman report states the intent of the individuals who participated in the collusion was to curry favor with the Defense Department, and that may have enabled the government's use of abusive interrogation techniques. Our internal checks and balances failed to detect the collusion or properly acknowledge a significant conflict of interest, nor did they provide meaningful field guidance for psychologists, said Dr. Nadine Caslow of the Independent Review's Special Committee. The organization's intent was not to enable abusive interrogation techniques or contribute to violations of human rights, but that may have been the result. We profoundly regret and apologize for the behavior and the consequences that ensued. Our members, our profession, and our organization expected and deserved better. Unquote. The board of the APA recommended that it adopt a policy prohibiting psychologists from participating in interrogation of persons held in custody by military and intelligence authorities, whether in the U.S. or elsewhere. Better late than never, Department. The apologies of the week. But who better to solve all this than this guy? Today, on an all-new Dr. Bill, he advised CIA interrogators. They asked me what would be effective, and I told them. End of story. And he blew the whistle. He was helping them torture. Is it good for psychology? Is this show? Let's do this. I've got a meeting with my new agent. Five, four. Let's make this the day you're on TV. Have a good show, Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill! Dr. Bill! Hey guys, this is maybe the most troubling show I've done uh, this whole season, not counting reruns of the incest shows. You're going to meet a man who says he was practicing psychology at the most secret prisons on earth, and another man who says he's besmirching the profession I left when I got my SAG card. Please welcome Dr. X and Dr. Y. 
sit down here. Ah. Now, Dr. X, you've asked not to be identified and to wear headgear that obscures your face because you're receiving death threats? Isn't that a little melodramatic? Uh, well, no, Dr. Bill. I consulted on the inter- in- interrogations of some very uh, dangerous people. I'm sure they'd be upset to know that I'm here today. Uh, they'd even be upset to think that I was uh, on with Dr. Oz. <laughs> well... <laughs> And, Dr. Why, we are mm-hmm. not identifying you because why? Well, A, uh, because this sort of appearance is usually regarded as unethical advertising for professional services. Mm-hmm. And, two, uh, because I think he has associates in the CIA and the military, and I think they'd like to wish me ill. And, and finally, because Dr. X was already taken. <laughs> All right, Dr. X, since he did mention your name... Uh, it's not really my name. We've got that. But we're here to, to get two things, solutions and ratings. So tell me and tell all of the Dr. Billophiles here in the studio, did you help torture people? All right, it's, a, it's a fair question. Well, my writers, thank you. <laughs> but, but it's not as easy as that. Oh? Yes, I used my expertise as a psychologist involved in turning our troops... I said our troops. Uh, all right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, training them to resist the kinds of fiendish and barbaric treatments that they could expect if they were ever captured by anybody that uh, we ever declared to be an enemy. That was my job. And then you turned around and, and trained uh, our interrogators to use those very same treatments. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> what, what, what my partner, Dr. X 2.0, and I did was adapt these behaviors to meet the requirements of our war fighters who are trying to get real-time information. Now, see, I, the way I'm, I'm looking at it, we might have to torture Dr. X to get a straight answer here. <laughs> but, 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 Dr. Bill, it's well-established in the psychological literature. Well, in fairness, I haven't read the psychological literature since I turned in my license. Well, just, just haven't had time. Well, in any case, it's well-established that torture makes people talk to end the torture, but they're just as likely to say things that aren't true. All right, see, now we're getting to the heart of the matter. If we could just all be honest with each other, we wouldn't be dealing with these kind of problems. I talk about that a lot in my new book, Dr. Bill's Heart of the Matter. Well, thank you. Yeah. But it's wartime, Dr. Bill. People don't tend to be honest when they're trying to kill each other. Well, maybe that's something a real psychologist could tackle, don't you think? Because I... All right, but I, I have to go back to what... He was saying. Okay, I'm not sure we remember. We we don't waterboard people to get them to tell us the truth. Mm. We waterboard them so that the next time we walk into their room, they're so afraid that we'll waterboard them again that they're motivated to tell us the truth. Which is is why, Dr. Bill, if they want so-called real-time intelligence, they have to waterboard some of these individuals as many as 180 times, just so the 181st time they might learn something useful. No, no. No, no. Well, but now, now, Dr. X... Dr. X, yes. is that what psychologists are supposed to be doing, instilling fear into people? Would you just like to sit here right now and look in that camera yeah. and tell this audience uh-huh. and the millions of people watching at home and around the world that your professional mission is to frighten and intimidate? Well, here, here, here's what I would like to say. 
It's all very easy to be an expert on this stuff when you're sitting in your office, writing op-eds and admiring your diplomas. It's, it's very different when you're in a country very far away and some very highly motivated members of an agency I can't even name are telling you they need stronger measures to deal with these individuals who are trained to resist normal interrogation techniques. Well, but they were trained to resist your techniques. We know that they had stolen copies of your manuals on resistance. Well, now, Dr. X, I don't think we're going to get anywhere if you can't even tell us the name of this supposed country or this supposed agency. Matter of fact, I'm getting the feeling you don't really want help here. Well, now, Dr. Bell, if I reveal classified material to you on this show and you broadcast it, you and your whole crew could be arrested and charged under the Espionage Act. You know, let's leave my crew out of this. It's ten minutes into what should be their lunch break already. And and, and, uh, Dr. Y, I think that rather than trying to help Dr. X, you're just trying to get free of the taint that his work has brought to what once was my profession before I wised up. Well, you know, Dr. Bill, I'm hearing projection in what you're saying to me and and maybe a little bit of defensiveness about giving up that license well yeah you know it seems to me that neither of you wants to solve this uh, it seems to me that uh, you don't want to prevent the next 911 it seems to me dr bill you don't want to understand your own highly mixed motivations or yours or yours All right. You know, normally I'd say this kind of problem really does need to be handled by a two-week stay in the Dr. Bill house, but the life coaches are attending a workshop in Bali. So let me just say that maybe the best thing we can do right now is end this torture here on this stage right now. Tomorrow, a woman tells us how her in-laws became outlaws. Till then, remember, hope is a door to a world full of windows. Bye-bye. The Dr. Bill Show is a Dr. Bill Worldwide Enterprises production, incorporated in Panama.
Well, you know, one of the major defenses of fracking against charges that it may be endangering water supplies is well, they, they they frack so deep. They're digging way down there, way beneath the aquifers and where we get our drinking water. Well, sir, the nation's first survey of fracking well depths shows shallow fracking is more widespread than previously thought. It's like television. It's shallower than you think. Occurring at 16% of publicly recorded sites in 27 states, posing a potential threat to underground sources of drinking water. Stanford University scientist Robert Jackson and his colleagues reviewed about 44,000 wells, found that nearly 7,000 of the sites were fracked less than a mile below the surface. According to the work published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Hey, that's Est. You'll hear from industry all the time that fracking only occurs a mile or two underground. It's something they push really hard, says a University of Colorado geography professor who was not involved with the study. While most fracking is occurring way down deep, this paper reveals a surprising number of shallow wells, and that's a concern, he says. Jackson told Inside Climate News the analysis definitely underestimates the practice because of limited reporting on the industry-backed database where companies post drilling information in most states that disclosure is voluntary. Not all shallow wells pose the same threat to groundwater. The riskiest fracked wells are both shallow and use high levels of water, says Jackson. When these high-pressure wells fracture the bedrock, the cracks can extend as much as 2,000 feet upward. This provides an opportunity for the chemical-laced water used in fracking to migrate to the shallower depths of the water table. Mmm. What's the shape of the table? Let's argue about that, shall we? And the smaller the gap between drilling and surface water, the greater chance of interaction. The researchers identified about 2,000 of these shallow, high-volume fracking wells nationwide. The, nation, the state that sticks out, said Jackson is Arkansas. I think he's referring to the number of shallow wells. Although there could be other reasons. And one of three earthquakes that gently rocked a small northern Alberta town this year may have been the strongest seismic event ever caused by fracking anywhere on Earth. We don't know about Kepler 542b, but on Earth we do. The shell fields around Fox Creek Used to get one, maybe two small earthquakes a year since 2003 when fracking began. The number has shot way up. A 2015 study said 160 minor earthquakes have been detected since then. Nearly all of them cluster around fracking operations. Isn't that nutty? Still, local residents aren't revolting against fracking because money. In January, there was a quake that reached 44 on the Richter scale, there was another such quake in June. Based on the depth of the location and the time, it seems very possible it's related to these fracking operations, says a seismologist with the Geological Survey of Canada. Canada! The, uh, that seismologist says he has not heard of any stronger earthquakes connected to fracking anywhere. These are the largest hydraulic fracturing-related earthquakes. It's the new world record. Canada's number one. What the frack. And now, 
Briefly, some news of the warm. The 11% decrease in climate change coming, uh, causing carbon dioxide emissions in the U.S. between 2007 and 2013 was caused by the recession, not the reduced use of coal. That's according to research from the University of California, Irvine, the University of Maryland, and the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. Mangrove forests could play a crucial role in protecting coastal areas from sea level rise caused by climate change, according to new research involving the University of Southampton. Taking New Zealand mangrove data as the basis of a modeling system, the team were able to predict what happens to different types of estuaries and river deltas when sea levels rise. Areas without mangroves are likely to widen from erosion. More water will encroach inwards. Mangrove regions prevent this effect. And the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration released temperature data for June, ranking it as the warmest June in the books. The month was nearly one Point six degrees above the 20th century average for June and beat the previous hottest June by 0.22 degrees. That was last June. Unless humans slow the destruction of Earth's declining supply of plant life, civilization as it is now may become completely unsustainable. This according to a paper published by the University of Georgia in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. You can think of the Earth like a battery that's been charged very slowly over billions of years, says the study's lead author. The sun's energy is stored in plants and fossil fuels, but humans are draining energy much faster than it can be replenished. The study's calculations are grounded in the fundamental principles of thermodynamics. Scientists estimate the Earth contained approximately 1,000 billion tons of carbon in living biomass 2,000 years ago. Humans have reduced that amount by almost half. Over 10% of that biomass was destroyed in just the last century. If we don't reverse this trend, we'll eventually reach a point where the biomass battery discharges to a level at which Earth can no longer sustain us, said the lead author. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Let's conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system to Japan up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave around the world via the American Forces Network and via the Internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. On the mighty 104 in Berlin... For your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from WWNO.org, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn.com. And it'd be just like getting classified information on your own email server if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A typical show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Nexile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson the WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, 
a playlist of the music heard on this program, and Cars I Talk t-shirts, which you can wear while listening to this program, all available at harryshera.com. And me, <laughs> thank you for asking. I'm the Harry Shearer on Twitter. By the way, premiering right now on YouTube, the music video for We Tortured Some Folks. Go to We Tortured Some Folks, the video at YouTube. Or don't. Just stay home. Enjoy. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>